without any oxygen and staying hours and hours and hours and exploring it and then going out to, out to the far distant stars. Okay, so what, what, is, what does God want for each one of us as we breathe our last? Um, to know that we have Christ in us, yeah, okay. Like him as much as possible, Christ-like as much as possible. Anybody else? Okay. Um, the, the reason I, I start with that question is because um, in, the, in the seminar yesterday, we, we covered a tremendous amount of information, and, and you could boil some of it down to um, interpretation, or, you know, if you don't know what God is doing, like, like I don't know, don't expect too many of you are authorities on Allah, but what little I know about Allah, who doesn't exist, but nonetheless, um, <laughs> you know, Allah apparently, um, if you're a good Muslim for the whole, whole of your life, you may or may not get eternal life, this is the way I heard it on radio, and if you die killing others as a martyr, you absolutely definitely get eternal life, which, you know, kind of paints a rather poor picture. I, I, I much la rather God is love, and then all the other descriptives we have of God. Um, so, <coughs> um, if, if, we, if we don't understand, if we don't, we, we need to have the knowledge, and then we need to understand the knowledge, in order to comprehend the end goal, right? And, and if we're not faithful to the end, I like that scripture in Revelation where it says, be faithful unto death and I will give you a crown and so on. Um, <clears throat> bottom line is, you, you just keep on trying to do the best you know how to, learning more and then doing the best you know how because you've learned some more, and, until you finish your race, until it's over, but you you remain faithful, you, and you, you, know, you have a certain fear of being tempted to drift away, turn to fables, uh, neglect so great a salvation, fall by the wayside, let the cares of the world choke it out of you, whatever, whatever. Um, and, and so you, you keep pressing forward to the mark of the high calling, as Paul said, in, in running his race. So, but if you don't know, you know what, what, uh, what God wants, from you, you know, a lot of a lot of people, you know, in in years gone by, they feel like God is against them. Now, if your if your perspective, if your interpretation of the Bible, or sadly, what what teachers have taught you, if your interpretation is that God is against you, you're really not connecting with the true God of the universe, and you're not really not understanding Jesus's purpose. One beautiful verse in the Bible is he it says the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That's a giant verse. He's, you know, he's eager to seek out and save people who are in darkness, who are going in all kinds of weird directions. So and our purpose in studying the Bible needs to be, um, do, are we comprehending God's end goal correctly based on Scripture? And I have to laugh, I, uh, I did a sermon a couple of, uh, some time back, decades ago, whenever it was, um, on faith, and I just said, well, I'll look in the dictionary, see what the dictionary says about the word faith. 
And one of the definitions, if anybody's got an e-sword, I don't see anybody looking down at an e-sword, but if, you know, if there's an e-sword running, we might occasionally call for you to read out for us what the e-sword tells us. But uh, in the dictionary, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. I, I had to read it like four or five times to, to make sure I wasn't misreading it. It said, faith is belief in something for which there is no proof. And I thought, that's not biblical faith. And yet, in a sense, it is faith. There, there are people on the planet who believe that the planet is a flat earth. And they, and they have faith that it's a flat earth, contrary to billion, you know, tons of evidence, right? Um, and, and we have like two billion Jesus-following people who have faith, not needing evidence, Right? Not needing evidence. And so if they happened to, re you know, if they read the dictionary, they'd go, see, I have faith. I trust that I'm going to heaven when I die, and I don't need evidence. It's like, so, so what is this? Cover to cover, what, what does this have to do with our personal lives? Everything. It's Okay, this is, this is God. This is a mirror of God. It's not everything. You know, I mean, if you wrote everything, you wouldn't be able to carry it. We wouldn't have room on the planet for everything, right? But, but this, is, this is the Reader's Digest version of God's thinking that he's prepared to share with us. He's got so much more out there, but with our little brains, we're not capable of, of comprehending it, right? And, and so one of the things that we have to help our children and teenagers and anybody we meet is, is get away from faith is belief in something for which there no, is no evidence, and we need to get them over to faith is belief in the evidence, right? And, and you know, there's some really good programs on radio every now and then that it says, uh, you know, there is, there is scientific proof, there is, uh, you know, extra-biblical proof that Jesus Christ lived and died when, when the Bible says he lived and died, and he did what, it, what the Bible says he did. And so, so you know, there's, there's just evidence that that, that happened. Um, and a lot of people go, see, and they point to the evidence. And then, and then with evolution, it's like, it's really sad because the, the more we learn, the more scientific we get, the more we learn that, that design is everywhere. Your body, your body functions, the a birth of a child, the, you, know, you name it, a tree. Everything has fabulous design. And, and you, know, you show somebody a watch or whatever and they say, you know, that didn't happen by accident. Somebody designed that and somebody built that. And then you look at the, and say, no, no, that happened by accident. It's like their perception their interpretation of facts and evidence is, is all wrong. But tradition, and that's the great, great danger of tradition, is that um, <coughs> you, you hear it so often, it's kind of like Hitler, he said if you, you tell a lie often enough that people will believe it. Believe it. And, and tradition is like, <coughs> you know, and I've, I've heard a few people say this, they say, you know, I'm, I'm a minister, and my daddy was a minister, and my granddaddy was a minister, and therefore, they couldn't be wrong. And, and if you take the approach of 
our faith, our belief system can't be wrong. You're, you're locked into not being able to look over the fence. You're, not, you're locked into not being able to look again to see what the evidence says. And, and so <clears throat> the people who read their Bible in a year, they go, um, they read probably way too fast, but they read John 3.13, Jesus speaking, red letter Bible, no man has ascended to a heaven. And I, I can't even figure out what their brains do with that if they're, even, if they're awake. They may not be awake. They may just be sliding over the words and, and not digesting and comprehending and asking questions, which is why I love to ask questions about the Bible. And Jesus, you know, <clears throat> I, I guess I'm getting bolder as I get older, um, that, that, you know, years ago I read Jesus was saying, if you believe in me, you'll never die. Is that true? Is that true? Ha <laughs> ha! Yeah, right? Now, why are you not reading the forever in your Bibles? That's right. The English translators came to two Greek words that say forever. And if you look in your Esau, you look, you know, you'll see the Greek words, this number, this number, and this number, and it's like the first number is not die. And the next two numbers are forever. And so to make an English sentence that you'll never die forever, it's like, well, what's that? Well, and, and when they when they do second death, they've got a real clever explanation for death now. Death, their death, in their definition, is separation from God. Now, all of us driving down the road, when we see an armadillo upside down on the road, what do we conclude? Dead armadillo, right? And, and we see dead birds and dead animals and dead things. I saw a dead crocodile the other day on the side of the road. Woo-wee! You know, well, I had to... I thought, boy, I'm glad he's dead and not <laughs> coming across the road. It was a 75 mile an hour speed zone, you know, and, and I had crews. <laughs> crocodile! I'm sorry, it wasn't a crocodile. Alligator. You don't have crocodiles. Okay. But anyhow, so, so perception, comprehension, understanding Jesus, right? And, and there's, I, I dare say there's not two people in this room that comprehend Jesus in identically the same way. We, we comprehend scriptures from our, from our, all of our history. And, and some of us like uh, poetry, and so some of us might comprehend Jesus more along the poetry side, or some are hif- history bus, and they comprehend it that way. Um, so, so questioning the Bible is, is paramount and, and critical, and reveals so much, in, and it helps you um, comprehend God's end game, and then he has an end game for each one of us for each day. Just like we have those of us with children. <clears throat> we, you know, at the end of each day, if we're interacting with the child, we, we want certain good things to have happened and we want certain bad things not to have happened. And, and we want them to go to bed when we tell them to go to bed. Right? And, and so to me, Jesus is so personal that, that he, has, he has information that, that is only good for you. And, and the more you develop your relationship with Jesus Christ, the more you, you are listening, you know, the still, small, quiet voice, you, you have to be listening for God. And I have, I, I've done this, and it's, it just blows my mind, and sometimes I cry. 
But I have this habit of I read one or two verses out of the Psalms, and I read it slow, and I digest the word, and I might even make some notes. And then I flip over, and I read some out of Proverbs. And I'm slowly working my way through all the Psalms and all the Proverbs. And, and lo and behold, for no particular reason, the Psalm that I read and digested fits perfectly with the proverb was with the next one I'm coming up to. It's like, how did that happen? You know, well, because we're connected into the spirit world and God's brain is infinitely more wise and powerful and he can send you little signs, um, <clears throat> you know, and you could all tell stories of signs you've had. So, okay, <clears throat> my, my prime word for today is partnership and I get angry about it, so if I get, if I get out of line here, you know, I go simmer down, simmer down. But, um, the, you know, the, the Bible and connecting with Jesus is supposed to open our understanding. And yet, and yet many of us have Bibles that have hidden things from us. And, and partnership word is one of those. But before we get to partnership, I want to I start with the covenant word, um, which most of us have, we can, we can talk about covenant a little bit. Now on Christian radio, covenant is almost non-existent unless they, they studied marriage in the Bible and then they picked up on what Paul said that Christ marrying the church is like the husband marrying the wife and, and, and so they, they go covenant marriage and there's, there's a good bit of, David have you heard, Fran, David have you heard uh, covenant marriage discussed out in the, in, yeah, beyond the church of God? Not much. Um, <clears throat> sadly in your Bibles if you'll, if you'll turn just before Matthew it'll say the New Testament. It should say the New Covenant. And the same with the Old, in Genesis, the you know, page just before the Genesis says the Old, the Old Testament. Right? It's God's covenant. And, and you know, they, sometimes they made the word covenant sort of fly, fade away in a testimony or something. But, but um, God is making covenant with people. And, and people make covenants when they get married. And that's, the, that's one of the strongest physical patterns of what God is doing, of what God, God's end game is. And, <clears throat> you know... It took me quite a long time, but um, I, I am eagerly anticipating marrying Jesus Christ, which, which, you know, if you think too heavily on the human side, that's weird for a guy to marry, obviously, Jesus a guy, but he's got so much more in his character than just a guy. He just came as a guy, you know, because it was a guy's world. And, and um, God the Father, because it was a father, but there was a, there was a patriarchal system as there has been in many, many societies, in the, in the Indian nations, in, in just many societies, there's been a patriarchal system until we did away with that in America. <laughs> I'm sorry. In modern times, we, it's like it's a free-for-all. Get what you can get. Um, but but <clears throat> how many of you, um, you know, picture your, your marriage as a binding covenant? Yeah. And <clears throat> anybody remember their, their uh, wedding vows? This might be a dangerous thing to ask, but, <laughs> but the, so those of you who have good, clear memories of your wedding vows, can you tell us a little about that? Or has it been so long ago? Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, yeah, which which is part of the vow of the covenant, right? And and uh, uh, if nobody else gives me an answer, I'll go to Lawrence because he's done lots of weddings, right? Um, but but what else are generally included in the marriage vows? Right, and and promise to do what? Cook eggs for breakfast? What what is the promise? <laughs> I haven't seen. I haven't seen that one. Okay. Watch out when you get his vows. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I mean, come on. You you got to remember some of your wedding vows uh, to uh, cherish. You know that may be in some people's there, right? And uh, love and honor and obey used to be in there, right? Um, in, what was that? Used to be. Used to be, yeah. And uh, in sickness and in health, see? And, and, and so, you know, people, people back in the old days when life was simple and, and you know, staying alive each day was a family effort, um, they, they had, life made sense and wedding vows made sense and getting married made sense. And it was, it, you may not say my covenant marriage vows, but it was an understood covenant thing. And, and so um, nowadays, I, I listen to lots, a lot of Christian radios, and it's give your heart to Jesus. Who needs covenant? Right? But you go back and you read what it actually says, and he's a covenant-making God. Okay, then we had Passover not long ago, and Jesus said, here, take this cup and drink of it, all of you. This is... What? In my blood. my blood, right? So, okay, everybody knows blood. That's really important. Jesus' blood is very, very important. Okay, but the few words before it was in the new covenant. So, so that means if you're taking Passover or some people take communion, it's like you, you're into a covenant relationship. And then, and then that... In Christian radio and, uh, and the great evangelist bringing people to Jesus, giving your heart to the Lord and so on. And, and when you die, you're once saved, always saved, and you go to heaven when you die. All of which, you know, agrees with that dictionary definition of faith is something for which you have no evidence. <laughs> which is tragic, it's tragic. But, but, but see, faith and tradition are so powerful. And, and you know, and, and this is true even with children in Santa Claus. Right? When, when you start with your little baby son or daughter, and, you, and not you don't, but, but other people tell them about Santa Claus, Santa Claus not only is a, is a tremendous story and it's believable for their young minds, but then they see Santa roaming around at Christmas time in the mall. And, and in their limited understanding, you know, you have set them up to ultimately, it's like, I'm the only one in the room who still believes in Santa Claus. You know, this is not good. What happened? My parents lied to me, right? And, and so, you know, <coughs> tradition is a blinding thing. If you look in Revelation 18, 17, 18, it talks about the, um, the, for, the, the, uh, the world has been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. 
And, and at Christmas and Easter, people who otherwise sound like they're truly faithful, loving Jesus people, they're drunk. And they can't see that they're drunk. And most, people, drunk, most drunk people don't, don't admit that they're drunk. Right? But, but it's like, you know, are you a good Christian? Yes. Do you keep Christmas? Yes. Do you talk to your children about Santa Claus at Christmas? Yes. Are you lying to them? No. You're drunk. You're drunk because you're obviously lying to them. Oh, maybe you do believe in Santa Claus. You know. But, but, but and, and, and Easter, which is more religious than, uh, you know, than, than Christmas, because almost everybody that observes Christmas, they go, there's something funny about this thing here. Right? It's, it's not giving gifts to Jesus. Now, if you look at the, bank, the church bank accounts, it's like, it's like the stock market. Christmas time, <laughs> they don't have any money to give to the church. They're giving the money to gifts and to people to make people happy that they got gifts. So it's, it's like <clears throat> comprehending what God is saying, what God is doing, what God is expecting, how God wants you to live today and tomorrow and the next day is critical and, and you have to get it from what did the book say? Um, and, and you have to ruminate, you have to, you have to meditate, you have to go, wow, this is, he said this. I mean, one, one verse says, if two of you agree in prayer on something you're going to ask, you can have it. That is huge. It's like, you know, okay, in Old Testament he said, um, pay your tithes and, and test me. Take me out for a spin. See, see if it actually works. And see if I won't open the windows of heaven to where you won't have bonds sufficient enough to store it all. It's like, oh, I don't want to get in trouble testing God. He said it. Test him. You know, and people, you know, in the old days, Lawrence remembers, he was back in the old days, you know, <laughs> They were, all, they were all, yeah, you're still here, that's good. There, there were all kinds of stories of people who, who tested God with tithing. You know, they were in business. They closed their businesses on Saturday. I was talking to a guy the other day down in uh, Jackson, Mississippi area. You know, and, and he's got the number one business for what he's doing in the, in the town he's in, and he closes every Saturday. And the competition go, ha, ha, gotcha. You know? But he's been at it for years, and he's still the number one, you know, business doing that business. And and but he applies Christianity to his business. He gives. It's like if they say, "Well, you didn't put enough of this," and say, "Here, have some more," Be, because one dissatisfied customer resolved and he goes away happy. It's like, well, yeah, I griped at him, but they fixed it right away. That's kind of impressive. That's something you even might want to tell your friends. Anyhow, um, <coughs> covenant, I, th I think we all have some comprehension that when we get married, we enter a covenant, we are held to the covenant, there are certain vows that go with the covenant, and, and sadly, uh, marriage is all, all but destroyed or disappearing. Hopefully we're keeping it alive in God's church, but, but people are living together, people are, you know, pretty soon the government's going to tell us that it's the law. You know, you can marry a horse if you want, whatever. You know, just, just, 
Yeah. So, so what God laid down as a pattern of understanding his thinking is being destroyed like many, many other things have been destroyed. Um, okay, uh, who, can, who can explain to me their understanding of the word communion? Nah, we come back to you, Lawrence. Come on. You'll give a good answer and then everybody else will sit quiet. Come on, somebody give me an answer to what does communion mean? Oh, okay, what was that about the mind? Communion, a meeting of the minds. Okay, it comes from commune, right? Which is when you deeply commune with somebody, you, you are meeting of the minds. So it's, it's not a bad word. It's just that in, in, in the marketplace, down at Walmart or whatever, you know, how often do you hear somebody refer to the word communion in common activity amongst humans? Almost never, right? It's, it's, almost, it's almost a holy and righteous word because it's not used commonly, right? And so even though it has roots that go back to a meeting of the minds, and in that, in that it's, a, it's a good application, but um, to, to me, every time you water down a strong message in the Bible, you weaken the whole fabric of people's understanding of God. You know, I, I didn't have a father. Well, I'll do that right. Um, okay, my father died when I was 15 months old, so I never knew my father. And after quite a number of years in God's church, I had read Our Father, which I, you know, and, and he wants us to call him Father, I had just read and seen that enough, and, and my brain one day said, I wonder if he really wants to be my father. Pondered that, and I said, oh, he does. I have a father. And so <clears throat> from that time forward, it was less painful that I didn't have a human father, that now I had even far better than that. I had a, a godly father in heaven. And he's father of all of us, and he's fathering all of us as brothers and sisters in God's church. So, okay, <clears throat> the, the word fellowship. Okay, this will be an easy one for you. Um, okay, fellowship means? Oh, excellent. Back to communion. Let's do that. Yes. Okay, good, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bring your electronics with you, folks. And that's what they believe, yeah. A close relationship with someone or something, a group of Christians who have the same beliefs. Yeah. If, if you said to somebody down at Walmart, uh, come over to my house and let's commune. <laughs> they might call the cops. Okay, read it for us. Uh, I'm the true vine, my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit is pruned, or lifts up, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. I think that's the 
It's, it's excellent if, if you can, you know, if you can get your mind around communing, you know, like a branch on a tree, they're connected in, in incredible ways, and the fruit out on the end of the branch won't get there unless the branch stays connected to the vine or to the trunk and, and so on, and, and <coughs> um, abide in me, you know, <laughs> Have you abided with anybody lately? See, see what, what I wish so much is that somebody, and, and it could have been done, but it hasn't, I don't think, is, is somebody in the Church of God realm had translated our Bibles in, in the sense of it's accurate for a 17-year-old to read. Right? Now, 17-year-old, it's, it's like it needs to say what it's saying. It needs to... to it needs to clearly transmit what it means. And there's all kinds of proverbs. That, you know, I mean, you can almost flip your Bible and open anywhere, and before soon you're going to come to a scripture where, where you don't have a clue what it says. You're a Bible student. You read your Bible or every year, whatever, whatever. You know, but there it is, superfluity. Okay, how many of you got one of those at home in the garage? <laughs> what is it? What, what is superfluity? Yeah, well, naughty, right? Naughty, isn't it? Oh no, no, it could be just overabundance and yeah, excess. Yeah, um, you know, iniquity. Uh, depart from me, you you workers of iniquity. You know, ask anybody on the street. Have you seen an iniquity lately? <laughs> well, let's see. Didn't they have one up in Washington or something? You know, people. If you don't, if the words are, mean nothing to you, if they're not in common use, they don't help you. They don't help paint a picture. And, and God is trying to paint a picture. He's trying, he's trying, to, you know, he's trying to be as clear as possible and, and get us into the program the way he wants us in the program. And so Satan, who loves to confuse things, <coughs> he's got two billion Jesus-following people giving their heart to Jesus, which <coughs> you know, I, I haven't exactly seen that scripture anywhere. right? And, and, but they bypass the pure, clear scriptures of repent and be baptized and have the laying on of hands and receive the Holy Spirit. It's like that is as clear as a bell if you go looking for it. If you don't want to see it, you don't see it. Right? You skip right over it. If you don't want to see no man has ascended into heaven, you skip right over it. Right? So, so clarity, and, and this comes down to Jesus and the Father on the throne, are looking inside the heads of each one of us. Sorry, you know, they're better than the NSA. They, they've got stuff you haven't even dreamed of, right? But they're looking inside of the head and they're going, um, not only do I want each one of you to cross your finish line at the end of your race, at your last breath, faithful to what you did learn and what you did understand, but I want you to bring some people with you. I want your 17-year-olds to catch the vision and stay in the church and, and cross their finish line. I want a big family, which, which I personally have trouble with. You know, um, it's, it's like you know, people say, well, we had 12 children. And I go, Whew. God is infinite. 
He wants loads and loads and loads and loads and billions of children. And, and you know, if one child is gorgeous and wonderful and precious, billions of them has got to be better, you know. Um, so, okay, did we, did we, are we finished with communion? That was excellent. Thank you. For, um, okay, so, so I'm not saying that the word communion is wrong. I'm just saying it, it doesn't fill the room with understanding and it doesn't help the 17-year-old. Right? Unless you train the 17-year-old from a babe, when they come to communion, you know, the, bread, the, the cup that we bless is the communion of the blood of Christ, it's like, la, 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 la. you know, what does that mean? I don't know, let's read the next verse. Maybe we'll understand it. You know, and, and so, um, okay, are we, can we go to fellowship now? Okay, can we go to fellowship? All right, fellowship, that's an easier word for it. Somebody from this side of the room, tell me what you think fellowship means. Visiting with people. Uh, when and where do you... Okay, so um, is it a sad event? In most cases, it's not, is it? So laughter, smiles... Um, social enjoyment, okay? Um, there's a scripture, it's in the notes somewhere. Uh, it says, uh, <clears throat> we have fellowship with Christ's sufferings. Like, am I the only one? Does that, does that does not ring, ring clearly, you know? Um, hey, let's have some fellowship. Yay, let's have some fellowship with sufferings. Wait a minute, that, that doesn't fit so well. Yeah. Uh, I see fellowship as a, a close agreement in the relationship. Are you talking about biblical fellowship? Are you talking about, you know, English, American, Australian fellowship yeah, word? <laughs> you know, I mean, I mean, we could... You know, we could, we could drive by a picnic somewhere, a family reunion, and, and we would say, I think they're having fellowship. And we'd all go, yeah, they're having fellowship. Right? Um, yeah. It has a sense of identity with the person and can have a sense. Yeah, which can be as deep as a family reunion where there's a great deal of that, or it can be a shallow as, you know, I have seen some ladies in the checkout stand that strike up some of the most wonderful conversations and they don't have a clue if that woman is a serial murderer or not, you know. In all probability she's not, you know. But, but, but so, so fellowship is, is, but how's the 17-year-old going to do with the word fellowship in the 21st century? And the reason, the reason I'm focusing on a 17-year-old by the time a person gets to 17 year old, they've, they've put away childish stuff almost, right? <laughs> sort of. They're trying to put away, you know, and, and they're starting to get a grip on how the world works. And, and so, you know, and, and one of my greatest griefs is, is that throughout history, of my history in the Church of God, um, huge numbers of the young people aren't with us anymore. They got to be 18 and, whew, 
you could hear what was the sucking noise, you know, <laughs> and the doors blew open and they disappeared and they were never seen again. And, and it was like, this is the most fantastic, unbelievable thing on the planet. You get to have an angelic spirit being body and live for all eternity in close relationship with the most fabulous beings, greatest loving beings that can ever be imagined. And, and be, but, but if you teach them that it's, it doesn't make much sense, it's not very understandable, it's not really for you, you know, and, and <clears throat> you, know, you don't teach them at their own level. And, and that's one of the sad things about um, short church, is if you, if you just teach to the adult audience, you pretty much bypass the young people. And, and that's, you know, that's why I like to do, have hammers and crazy stuff, because people, you know, the kids look up and they go, oh, look, he's got an umbrella. What's he going to do with the umbrella? You've got the kid's attention for like 35 seconds, which is better than none for the whole thing. You know. um, okay, so my, my beef... And I, I began to study this, and sadly I haven't completed it because the deeper I studied it, the bigger it got, and I just totally ran out of time. But um, okay, part, the partnership words appear in English, uh, King James and New King James Bible, which astounded me. <laughs> I, I, because okay, the average, the average Bible student, um, it, you know, in their early stages, if you say. Go look up the word repentance. So they get out their Strong's Concordance and they go R, R, E, R, E, P. Here it is, repentance. And then it lists the places in the Bible. Okay, so if I said go study the word partnership in the New King James Bible, it's not there. It's there in the Greek. It's not there in the English. It's like, wait a minute, how can that be? Well, because they used other words. They used fellowship sometimes, and they used communion sometimes. And, they, and it really bugs me if you have a simple definition for a word as the primary singular definition, and you don't use it. It's like, wait a minute. You're telling me that the meaning of this word in Greek is this, and you don't use it. Are you trying to obfuscate the Bible? Are you trying to hide stuff from us? Right? And, and part of the reason, and, and I, I, I don't know whether you understand or grasp this, but, but most Bibles are translated by Sunday-keeping people who don't keep festival. Hence, we have Jesus died on a Friday and rose on a Sunday morning, despite the numerical impossibility of that. Right? Don't confuse me with the facts. Right? And, and so because they didn't keep festival, it never dawned on them that a holy high Sabbath day could fall on a Thursday. In which case, if you read the parallel of, the, of Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, the ladies observed Jesus' body going into the tomb and the rolling of the rock in front of it, and they said, he hasn't been properly embalmed. We love him so much, we want to fix that. And so they, they rested on the Sabbath day, Right, which was about to hit at sunset, although it doesn't mention that. I don't think it does. Anyhow, then came Friday. And Friday was to go to the store and buy embalming stuff. And they went and they, and they mixed it, and then they rested on the Sabbath day. At two Sabbaths, one day apart, and whoosh, 
oh well, who cares? So obviously he died on a Friday and he rose on a Sunday and we don't need the facts. And then the thief on the cross. You know, a 17-year-old that picks up any, almost any Bible is going to read, you know, Jesus turns to him and he says, and the implication they get is, you, my friend, are going to be with me today up in paradise. And it's like, don't confuse me with the facts, because how many scriptures are there that say he will rise on the third day? So then if you stop and think, you go, wait, hey, the thief got to heaven before Jesus did. You know, how'd that work? The first one into heaven was the thief on the cross. How did that work? You know, so, so, but the 17-year-old is trying to make sense out of, you know, sometimes nonsensical scripture. Now, the reason, yeah, go on. Well, and, and, all, and the problem is there's the comma. Because in our, in our language, we use the comma to, to break thoughts. Here's the thought, comma, here's the, re, here's, here's the attached thought. And so if you, if you put the comma back in the right place, and you say, I'm telling you today, comma, you will be with me in paradise. No time range given. And, and you go back one verse and the answer is right there. It's the elephant in the room. He says to Jesus, when you come in your kingdom. Like, okay, is the kingdom here yet? It's not here yet. So Jesus says, okay, according to what you ask, when I do come in my kingdom, you're going to be with me. And again, no time period. And, and so, and I, I hear great evangelists teach, teach their congregations that this is proof that you go to heaven when you die. Right? Have faith in this proof. <laughs> you know, it's awful. Anyhow, okay, partnership with Jesus is what saves us. So can you see why Satan would want to diminish this as a strong, you know, and covenant? Right? And, and see... If people got married and they knew this was a human covenant before God and they feared God, they would stay faithful through thick and thin, through sickness and in health and whatever, right? Because it's a pattern, it's an image, it's a witness to what God is doing. Only, only he's getting ready to marry and, you know, husbands and wives is about the in, most intimate relationship you can have in this life. And, and so God is saying... I want to be even more intimate with you into all eternity. I want us to have such an intimate relationship that you have the mind of Christ. You and Christ are become one in your thinking. And if you can't understand his thinking, you're going to have to struggle to try and get to that point where you have that one-on-one that -on -one relationship. Okay, Romans 5.10 said uh, <clears throat> that we, you'll be reconciled by the death and we shall be saved by his life, which to me is the, uh, is <clears throat> the Passover is focused on his death. It's just one day. He did most of the work. We, we connect into the Passover. But then comes a seven-day festival, that is unleavened bread, which is feeding on the bread of life, the living bread of life. 
the, the unleavened bread we ate at Passover was symbolic of a broken, dying flesh body. That was Passover day's symbol for unleavened bread. And a lot of people say unleavened bread has the same symbolism all year long. No, it doesn't. Then you go over into unleavened bread and the, and the unleavened bread symbolism is of the sinless living bread of life. Eat this bread and live forever. Feed on the mind of Christ. So, um, so we, you know, we're going to be saved by his life. And, and what is that? Well, it means different things to different people. Um, his, you know, to, to me, if you're a serious Bible student, Jesus is leaning over your shoulder, whether you can see him or not. And he's going, hey, step on that word. That word. Did you ever see that word before? What do you, what do you think that word means? And you're just sitting there in your, your favorite chair or whatever, and you go, wow, that is interesting. Where's my e-sword? I'll look that up. You know, and, and it's like sometimes you think you're all alone doing your study. And then if you, know, if you think about it, he, you know, he's not going to leave you alone. He wants to help you see stuff you haven't seen so that, so that you can mold and, and modify your life. Okay, John uses the partnership word in 1 John 1.3. And this is, this is incredibly exciting to me because I'm beginning to really explore this, para, uh, this partnership thing. said, uh, that which we have seen, we declare unto you that, we, that, that also may have fellowship with us. You know, church fellowship, okay? It's the partnership word, right? Fellowship is, is a good introductory, but, um, okay, let's, let's stop here for a second. How many of you have had a business partnership? Anybody been in business partnership with somebody else? Somebody? Come on. Somebody has, surely. No? Yes? You want, you, yeah. Can you give us a little bit of an understanding? Most people haven't been in partnership in business. Yeah. It can be kind of a difficult thing. Okay, but, but, but two of you or more came together and you said what? Not, you know, like, like okay, we will, we will start a business and, and I will provide the, the electronic technical assistant and you will provide the salesmanship or something. And, and in, a, you know, um, in a sense, when you're working for somebody, you're in partnership. You know, they give you a salary based on if you do what you're supposed to do, you get the salary, right? But, but, but you, most people working for a salary don't think of it as a partnership. But when you form a partnership, you go, hey, we are forming a partnership. And uh, sadly, my mother hated all Englishmen. We don't have any Englishmen here, do we? Okay. Um, because an Englishman in Australia cheated my dad out of money. You know, and, and in mother's thinking, it was like, therefore, all Englishmen are bad. It's like, boy, that's a tough one to get your head around. You know, I met some pretty nice Englishmen. You know, but, but <coughs> so, so the partnership, and, and okay, let's go to husbands and wives. Right? Okay, you form a partnership. What are you saying? If you're a guy and you're saying to this sweet young gal, you know, and, and you're saying, let's get married, in a sense you're saying, let's form a partnership. Okay, what is this partnership going to accomplish? In most people's thinking, we'll have some kids. Right? Less, less and less now anymore. Just that. But, you know, the way God set it up was, was let's, let's make more kids. Let's increase and multiply and replenish the earth. You know, um, so, so young people get married with expectations of the partnership will accomplish X, Y, and Z. 
And, and very few people, I would think, would say, let's get married, let's form a partnership so we can both be um, climbers of Mount Everest. And we'll climb Mount Everest like 30 times in our lifetime. It's like, what kind of a partnership is that? You want to die up there or something? What is it? You know, but but the, the, under, the general understanding is, I love you so much, I want to live with you. I want to have commune with you. I want to have personal relationship with you. I want to see you and talk to you in the morning and sometimes in the middle of the day and in the evening. And I want our family and our children and our dynasty to do great things. I see Steve smiling down here. His dynasty has done great things, you know. And, and that is extremely enjoyable. We had a granddaughter call in last night and it was like, you know, oh, you did what? Oh, that's wonderful. That is, you know, there's richness in seeing your progeny do well. And, and God wants to see his progeny do well. Okay, so the rest of this here, he says, we have fellowship or partnership with us. And truly, our fellowship partnership is with the Father and with the Son. Now, in Christian radio and, and campaigns, it's give your heart to Jesus now you could sit down a couple of, you get 20, 17 year olds in a circle and you say, explain to me what give your heart to Jesus means. Now there are answers because you don't, you don't go, I have no clue, but I'm going to do it anyhow. So, so you, your brain assembles some kind of an understanding of, I'm, I'm inviting Jesus into my heart, which if you can find a scripture that says invite Jesus into your heart, please let me know because I haven't seen it yet, right? And so they, they paint a totally unbiblical picture of how you're going to please God the Father and Jesus the Son. And they bypass all the specific details and instructions. I don't know, if, if you buy a new TV set or a monitor and, and you don't read the instructions, right? I did this. I said... It's a TV. I know how to work this thing. And I plugged it in and I turned it on. It wouldn't work. I said, that is nutty. It's plugged in. I know it's going. What's the matter with this? So I was forced to read the instructions. And it said, you do this, you do this, you do this, and then you plug it in. And I said, that's stupid. <laughs> but I, had, I haven't made it work yet. So what harm can it do? So I followed the instructions, it worked. Why? I don't know, but it did. So, you know, and, and, and God is, you know, the obedience thing. You don't, you don't hear, give your heart to the Lord, and, and I'm going to be obedient to everything I see in Scripture as part of the package. You just give your heart to the Lord, invite Jesus into your heart, you know, and, and you're going to have the most fabulous eternity instead of roasting and suffering and being tortured in heaven, in hell, forever and ever and ever and ever, which, you know, hey, which one do you want? <laughs> no air conditioning in, in hell, so which one do you want? Okay, I'll take the air conditioning, you know. Um, so our partnership is with the Father and with the Son, and I gave you the definition there for partnership. You know, uh, here's the Greek word, right? And there's actually a family of Greek words, and, and I didn't have, the notes would have got extremely long, and those of you who are interested in words, there's, there's the Greek word 2841, which can mean I am partner. There's 2842, which is the word for partnership. There's 2843, which is partner, and that only occurs once. And there's 2844, which is also partner. And, and so 
you know, here's a long list of places in the New Testament that these four different partner partnership words, and there are others, but, but these, this was a little family that I looked at. Um, and so when the, when the people who wrote the Bible wrote it, partnership was a major thing. And now I'm telling you, unless, unless you can find it, and I didn't find it, I, I took out my concordance and I said, show me the partnership word, it's not there. Okay, I found partner, I think twice. And one of them was they had too much fish in the net, so they called their partners in the other boat to come help them. And they were having a partnership because they, they, were, they were fishermen together and they made their living at, at ga- harvesting fish and selling fish, so they were in partnership. But, um, you know, God wants a partnership and calling him father um, in the old scale of things your relationship with your father was supposed to be like your preeminent relationship until you got married. And, and you know, things have changed. You live in a different world. Some of you just don't have a clue what I just said, but that's, but that's okay, but that's the way it was, and that's the way it's portrayed throughout biblical history. Yes? No, I don't have 2839. Which says a sharer, an associate, a companion, or fellowship. Yeah, so, so like I say... It's, it's synonyms. Okay, it gets, it gets bigger and bigger. In the notes a little bit, we, we come across a 33 word. Um, it doesn't fall under right now. But, but a little further on down your notes, there's, there it is, 3348. And so, so the Greeks had several words for sharing, partnership, you know, uh, and, and so on. And so, so the 17-year-olds, if they were reading enlightening Bibles, they could see, you know, how many times you hear partnership, right? I mean, it's, it's a common word. You might not hear it super often, but, but, but you hear of people forming partnerships and whatever, whatever, whatever. You know, so it's a very understandable word, whereas communion is not. And, and fellowship is only used at church. It's the church word, right? I mean, even though it, it is broader than that, it's like, so when you have a 17-year-old read a passage in Scripture, if it's laced with, you know, um, holy and righteous words that don't seem to make much sense in the common world, they're not, they're not drawing knowledge and understanding from that, and they're not getting a, a fit-together picture. Um, okay, so... Um, John says we have you know, partnership with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. Um, 1 Corinthians 1.9, God is faithful by whom you're all called unto fellowship with Jesus. Now, I have been here fellowshipping with quite a number of the faces here. I fellowship with, for breakfast this morning, you know, and, and we've, had, we've communed. We've had fellowship, right? And, and, and it's wonderful. Um, how does a 17-year-old understand, go fellowship with Jesus? Right? Okay. When it really meant, go partnership with Jesus. Okay, so how do you partnership with Jesus? Well, he says, here's how the partnership works. Read the book. Don't want you committing adultery. You know, um, okay, and even that needs a little explanation. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? Well, you ask the 17-year-old, Explain to me adultery. 
and some of them will get it right and some of them won't. They ask teenagers and college students out on the street now, uh, did you ever hear of George Washington? No, who was that? Are we educating people? Apparently not. Okay, um, and then we come to 1 Corinthians 10, 16. The cup of blessing that we bless. Okay, there's a clue there. The cup of blessing that we bless. We just had Passover, right? So, and we read what Jesus did the, the night he died or the night of the day he died, right? The cup of blessing which we bless. That sounds very much like the Passover cup, right? <clears throat> Is it not the communion? Is it not the partnership of the blood of Christ? We, we, not only do we have Passover to go back and, and proclaim his death until he comes and memorialize and do it in remembrance of him, the blood, the symbolic spiritual blood of Jesus works, is working. It's like uh, Windows, the Windows program. When you turn your computer on, it, if you've got Windows, it's working. The blood of Christ, the spiritual blood of Christ works every day. It doesn't only work at Passover. It's, it's a spiritual symbolism of something that functions 365 days a year. When you do Passover, it brings you back to square one, your roots where you were baptized into the death of Christ. And this is your marker to get you started for another year. It's like boot camp to get you going for another year. And so it's, it's not just communion, it's partnership of the blood. The bread that we break, is it not the communion partnership of the body of Christ? Um, so in 2 Corinthians 6.14, you know, if you read this slowly, it becomes a little more clear. But, but teenagers are not in the habit of reading things slowly. So we need Bibles or we need explanations for teenagers that go, you know, um, first you bolt this to this, yeah, that seems logical. And then you take this second part and you bolt it to the other part and then you bolt that and there you've got a bicycle and that works. Yeah, I can see that. People can't see all of the, the mechanism of what God is doing because it reaches into every part of your life. But the basic framework is simple and basic. And we're to, to enter covenant, we are to be baptized, repent and be baptized, just like the book says many, many, many times for the remission of sins, and his blood is shed for the remission of sins. Okay, but here in 6.14, it says, Be ye not unequally yoked. What's a yoke? Not a joke, a yoke. What's a yoke? Something that ties you to someone else. Yeah, yeah, back in the animal days, right, they, they put two donkeys or two whatever together, and they put a yoke across both of their necks, and wherever one donkey went, the other donkey went, whether he liked it or not. They, it was like they were tied together. Okay, so don't be unequally tied together or in partnership together with unbelievers. Now, you can fellowship with unbelievers. Is that true? Can you fellowship with unbelievers? You can have unbelievers in church, right? 1 Corinthians 14, unbelievers in church, right? Okay, so you can, you can fellowship with unbelievers, but he says... Don't be yoked or in partnership with unbelievers for what fellowship. And here it's in error. In general common parlance, this scripture is in error, isn't it? Am I misreading it? Am I misunderstanding it? Because it says you can't have fellowship 
with unbelievers. Is that what you believe? Anybody believe that? Don't have fellowship with unbelievers? Mostly relatives, right? Well, not necessarily here. <laughs> Most of your relatives are believers, right? Okay, because you're all related to each other in some way. But anyhow, um, so do you see my point? If, if you read this thing slowly, he's saying partnership is not saying fellowship. And so, and so the, part, the strength of the partnership word is diminished and, and diluted, and, um, and, the, and, the, and the strong message of covenant partnership relationship with the Father and the Son is diminished, and it's like, hey, I go to church every week, um, you know, God knows I love him, and I sing a couple of hymns, and, and all will be well. And he says, don't call me Lord, Lord, if you're not going to do what I say. And that's been diluted. You don't have to obey Jesus. If you're trying to obey Jesus, then you're a, you're a law keeper. You're a, um, what's that word? They, they blame us all for being legalists. Okay, legalists. <gasps> you know, people run screaming from the building if you suggest that you're a legalist. When Paul clearly said in Romans, with my mind I serve the law of God. Oh, that was a different Paul because the Paul over in Galatians said we're no longer under the law. Right? And, and so is it any wonder that 17-year-olds and for that matter anybody who picks up a Bible goes, boy, all right, I don't understand that verse. Let's read the next verse. Right? And so people are just skipping over what God gave us to understand. So, so you know, if, if you disagree with me, let me know. But, but to me, this uh, 2 Corinthians 6.14 is, is just not right. You, it's, it's saying, um, don't have fellowship with unbelievers. Right? And, and then it goes on, it's, it's, it's talking partnership, and it says, um, with, un, you know, with righteousness and unrighteousness, but Paul said, if, if, you, if you take it strictly, you'd have to leave the world. If you're not going to associate with sexually immoral people at all, you'd have to leave the world. And, and that was 2,000 years ago, and here we are. <laughs> right? You can't talk to anybody. Right? Okay, never mind, forget that. Um, okay, Peter, uh, James, Peter, John shook hands of partnership with Paul and Barnabas, right? It says Galatians 2.9, when James and, and so on and so on, um, they, uh, they extended the right hands of fellowship. Okay, back in the old days, some of you still do this, people reach out and they shake a person's hand in agreement. Now we do it as a uh, hello, right? But we use sh handshaking as hello, Right? But, but in forming a partnership without using lawyers or signatures, people just used to say to the local farmer, I'll bring you three cords of wood, let's shake on it. And that sealed the partnership, that sealed the deal. And people, if they shook hands on it, they were going to do it. Okay, so they gave them the right hand of partnership, not fellowship. Right? Fellowship is not, you know... <coughs> You're not coming in here. Partnership is like we are going to do something together. And when you come to church and you shake somebody's hand, that's not shaking their hand in partnership. That's just a, a common courtesy that we do. Um, so again, it, it's like they said, you go to the, to the Jews and we'll go to the uncircumcision, we'll go to the Gentiles, and we'll be partners 
in preaching the gospel, but we'll be in two different realms. And so, obviously, it's the partnership word again. Um, we've got Philippians 3.10, and it says, um, fellowship with his sufferings, right? Which I think I've already covered. Basically, it's partnership with his, his sufferings. It's not fellowshipping, you know, because our description of fellowshipping, you know, we don't think of partnershiping with suffering as, as fellowshipping. Um, I'm a... I'm a 19th century person, and me and my cell phone don't get along very well, so ignore it. Um, okay. Okay, if we say we have fellowship with Jesus, it's a 17-year-old, I'm not sure what that means. If we have partnership with Jesus, right, which we have through repentance and baptism and Passover and obeying the Lord, yes, Lord, whatever you say, Lord, and we walk in darkness, we're lying and we're not doing the truth. Verse 7, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, um, we have fellowship, partnership with one another. We're in a family that's in partnership with Jesus and the Father. And the blood of Jesus, Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. And that's why I say, you know, your, the, your sins at baptism were all washed away by you choosing to be baptized, repentant and be baptized. That was your historical sins up to that point. And when I was baptized, I was told, I came up out of the water and they said, you're pure of all sin which was great for a couple of seconds, you know. But, but you know, we all, we all sin in smaller ways, you know, hopefully not in big ways. Um, and that sin needs to be handled, and there's no condemnation, there's no judgment if we're walking in the Spirit of Christ. Um, so he says in 1 Corinthians 10 and 21, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. Right? You cannot be partakers, right, which is connected to the partnership word. You can't share or participate in the Lord's table and the tables of devils. You've got to give up one. You cannot serve the Lord and mammon. And, and so you've got to go one way or the other. Corinthians 9.10. Um, you know, he that plows, plows in hope that he can thresh and hope and be a partaker of his hope. He, he's looking to end results. Now when we fellowship, we don't necessarily look to end results. We're in the same room, we're in the same room for the same purpose, to have church or whatever, and we fellowship, and when we leave the door, the fellowship stops. With partnership, when we leave the door, the fellowship, the partnership doesn't stop, right? All right, all right, settle down. Right. I hit the snooze button several times this morning, but it was good sleeping. Okay, Hebrews 2, 4... Hebrews 2.14, as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, which, you know, you know we are. We, we are partakers. I mean, I mean, every morning you get out of bed, you are partaking of flesh and blood, right? He also took part, right? And so this is the 33.48 word. And, and so it's, 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 it's serious business instead of give your heart to Jesus. And, and I, you know, I've heard him say that the Spirit controls you, which is absolutely rubbish, Right? Because all you have to do is ask one or two questions. You say, so the Holy Spirit of God controls your life. Is that true? Yes. Okay. H did you sin yesterday? Uh-oh. Most people won't say, no, I didn't sin yesterday. So they'll probably say, yeah, I guess I sinned yesterday. Okay, so the Holy Spirit is responsible for you sinning. What? Right? And, and so can you understand a 17-year-old trying to understand what it is we all believe 
out of the same book, the Bible, when, when it's not giving us clear understanding. And so what I'm saying is the partnership words should be translated using partnership, which we understand is still a common word even in the 21st century. And covenant, even though it's not a common word, right, it should be taught to be a common word in God's church. Um, okay, let's see, go to... So, so to conclude, um, 1 John 1.3 talks of partnership with the Father and Jesus. And, and it's the kind of partnership beyond husbands and wives' partnership and covenant because you're going to be in this partnership with the Father and the Son for all eternity, never ending. And man, that is going to be so sweet. That is going to be, you know, as you get a glimpse of how great God is. And Passover is reeks of love, sacrificial love. The God of the universe, the creator of the universe, you know, came and lived as a human being, being for three and a, 33 and a half years, and then he suffered and died the most horrible death. Why? Yes, yes, yes. But, but, but was he not saying, I love you? Can anybody understand the Passover activities and say, Jesus, you didn't really love us? It's, you can't. So that's the stamp of, I love you so much. And one scripture says, he loved us while we were yet sinners. And we love him because he loved us first. And, and Passover reeks off, this is how I love you. Sacrificial love is how I love you. Um, so we're called into, in 1 Corinthians 1.9, we're called into partnership with Jesus, uh, 1 Corinthians 10.16. The Passover cup is the partnership of the blood of Jesus Christ, which, which even though Passover is finished, it was a one-day festival, you know, we are going to have partnership with the blood of Christ now for 364 days. And, and you know, it's, some, it's something worth studying. Romans 5.10. Having been reconciled, we shall be saved into the future, the rest of the days of our lives, by his life, meaning in partnership. Therefore, it's the partnership with Jesus Christ, your mind and his mind through the scriptures, interreacting like cell phones interact sometimes with cell phone towers. Right? When they stop interacting with cell phone towers, throw it away. Because you can't use it anymore. It's not connected to anything, you know. So, you know, partnership with Christ is what saves us. And so to me, it's a crime that most Bibles are not reflecting the Greek word for partnership in every possible place that it could, just like covenant should be taught and understood. So, any final questions and we'll wrap it up. No questions. Good. I love it. All right, um, Steve, is somebody going to close with prayer? I'm going to call on uh, uh, Ken over here to have a prayer and for an end meal. Thank you. Excellent. Thank you. I don't even get it.